the Off The Ball Podcast Network. Hello and welcome. I'm Cleena Foley and this is Off The Bench, a women's sports podcast which we hope will entertain and educate sports fans of all ages and genders. You can get all our previous episodes on iTunes or on the podcast series link in Off The Ball. They've got an app now, the Off The Ball app. If you go in there, you'll be able to find their podcast series link and you'll find Off The Bench in there. As well as giving a voice to athletes and women's sports stories that we're really interested in, Off The Bench likes to capture untold women's sports history, especially women who've made sporting history for Ireland. So we're really delighted today to welcome the first woman who 40 years ago rode for Ireland in Olympic Games and hear her fascinating story. So Frances Crine, welcome to Off The Bench. Thank you very much, Tina. You're, you're, you're coming to us all the way from a very beautiful part of the country. Tell us where you live and where you're from. Um, I live here in lovely Leitrim in Carrick and Shannon. And um, it is, as you said, beautiful. The river flows through the town and um, it's a magical place. And even this morning, it looks beautiful. And, and, and living and looking out on the Shannon in such a beautiful place is part of your sporting history. Tell us, how did you get into rowing in Carrick and Shannon? Um, well, I was brought up in a business here in Bridge Street. My dad and mum had a pub and it's, the, it's right beside the bridge. It's, I think it's the first pub as you cross over into Leitrim. Um, so I'd have been born right beside the Shannon and I'd all, there was a great history. Um, the club was formed here, I think, in 1836. So there were always crews, men and ladies crews on the river. Um, so I'd have been watching them from a very young age and I was waiting my chance to get out on a boat. <laughs> Literally looking at them out the front window. It's fabulous. What a place to grow up in and how lucky were you. And um, you grew up in Leitrim, obviously, in the, in the 70s. You would have been in your teens coming through um, into the early 80s. And were there many women rowing and, and, and was it, were you encouraged to row? And how did you get into competitive rowing? Who, who helped you? Um, the club would have had um, a good history of ladies rowing and, and men's. Men would have been stronger. Um, there was a, a gentleman in the club, Aidan Angle, who um, coached me from the very start and all through my career. And he would have been involved with ladies rowing. He would have had a crew, um, schoolgirls crews, before we joined. And um, they would have competed in regattas even in England, in Bedford, in the 70s. And you started out, obviously, then in schoolgirls rowing and you were in a crew. But then you, you, got, you got serious about single sculling. And, and ha- tell me how that progression happened for you. I suppose, like everybody, um, even the club now, um, y- young girls row until they're about 18. And then they head off either to work or to go to college. Um, I myself went off to nurse in Dublin, but um, I had started sculling before I went nursing and um, I suppose I wanted to, to have the love for the rowing at that stage and I just decided to go back and continue rowing sculling. I would have started about 16 sculling because there were all the girls I rowed with um, had moved off. So yeah. I was left really as a single scholar. There and when you were nurse, crew coming, coming behind us. Right. And when you went to Dublin to nurse, did you join a club up there, or did you always stay with Carrick and then end up going back to Carrick? 
I stayed with Carrick, but I would have, um, the Garda Road Club would have given me the use of their facilities at Island Bridge. So I would have kind of ran out from, I was um, nursing in, in a hospital in Lower Mount Street, Sir Patrick Dunn's, just starting my training. So I would have ran out to Island Bridge and they would have given me the use of a boat. But it wasn't the same. The, the, I was used to the Shannon and the, the brilliant facilities we had here. So, so you were I literally... Opted. You were getting the aerobics in, you were running out to train and running back into nursing. Yeah. Literally, wow. Basically, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and in those days, because we could go on to talk about it, but you represented, you were the first Irish female rower in the Olympics in Moscow in 1980. But like, I'm thinking, there, were, there, weren't, there wasn't even, even at home, there wasn't weight training, there wasn't gyms. I mean, how did you, how did you do the strength and conditioning? Because it's so important in that sport. Well, we did a lot of water work because we have a brilliant stretch of water here, one of the best I'd say in the country, um, and the weather allowed us, whereas, you know, in other countries they'd have ice, the river would be all iced up, yeah. so we could row on the water, so we'd have done an awful lot of steady state most days, um, mileage and con concentration on technique, and then um, there was a, a brilliant man here in Carrick and in, in Drumsnad, the next village, and he had his own set of weights and he devoted three nights a week to train me for years um, to do heavy weights in the winter and then we'd go to lighter weights as the regatta season. And this was Sonny Morn. And was he Sonny did he have Moore, his yes. did he have his own makeshift gym? Did he have weights or did he, he make had, them? Yeah, or? it was just kind of a, an old converted school that was converted into a kind of a small little community centre and um it was, it was kind of a disused school. It wasn't used for much. So we'd go there and um, he had his own set of weights. Wow. And he so Sonny was he probably just... ahead of his time, really, because, you know, I grew up in the 70s and, you know, weights and gyms just, you know, they were only coming into vogue in Ireland, really, at the time. Were, um, if, you, if you were very strong in your area there, how were you getting competition? Were you competing um, nationally? And was there a thing called the ladder system, I think, in, in which you might have been competing against men, in fact, around the country? Yeah, pre-season, um, there was a, a Dublin Skull and Lather. I think there was one also in Cork. And um, in October, November, December, pre-racing pre season, you could compete at the Skull and Lather. So you, if, the first day, um, everybody would enter and you were timed over a set piece. And then you were placed on the ladder, depending on your time. And afterwards, then you could... Um, race the person two above you, one above you, two above, up to three, and you would challenge them for a race um, with the, on the at Island Bridge. Yeah. And um, whenever suited, both you and your competitor. Um, and you got very good racing at that. Um, it was very close because there'd be very little, it might be seconds between you, even less. So that gave that us... And were men and women, could you challenge men and women? It didn't matter who. Oh, yeah. You challenged the person who was ahead of you. So usually, I think, um, usually it was mostly men that would have been ahead of me. Like, there'd be young men and mature men and all ages, all categories. And how did and they take to being challenged by... Um, as some of them now would, would get a bit of jiving. Uh, from their from their friends and they didn't really want to challenge it They'd say oh that day didn't suit them so uh, I think they could only refuse you three times and then you moved into their position so they had to really race you yeah, yeah brilliant. at some stage 
But they and that really gave you that gave you really tough competition then as well because there were there were obviously other elite women in the country at the time. Oh, there were, yeah. Um, when I would have started racing, I think Nola Lupton from Skibbereen, uh, there was Maureen McKeown, um, there was Linda McNeil from up um, Belfast, um, there was Claire Morrissey. There was a whole, um, yeah, there were different ladies racing at that stage. So how did you come to be the first Irish woman to row in an Olympic Games in Moscow in 1980? Well, I suppose I had been in the skull um, and competing successfully here in Ireland. And um, Aidan was plotting and planning um, okay. my training schedule. Um, he would have sent me to uh, Germany to the Ruder Academy. Uh, to do two weeks training with some Germans, the German squad. So he was always um, checking out things and he was ahead of his time, really. I Sounds mean, like he, it. He was, yeah. I mean, he was always looking to see what was going on in Europe and if he could get anybody he could talk to. He was, so he was planning and plotting everything. If he hadn't been around, I probably never would have got to Moscow. And were you going to World and European Championships at that stage, Francis? What age were you roughly? I had, I was 20 when I was in Moscow. I had gone to play in Yugoslavia, um, the former Yugoslavia, in 79. And that was my first time at World Championships. I had been racing on the European circuit at, at um, Nottingham, Mannheim, Ratzeburg, um, Denmark, Soro in Denmark. He had taken me to Denmark when I was only um, a junior, under 18, and I had won that. And he brought me back the next year to senior, and then he brought me back the next year to the elite level. And I had won at all those categories. Wow. And how were you, how were you financing it? Because nowadays, you know, there's a, there's a carding system and athletes get grants and everything and sponsors and things. But back in the 70s and the 80s, again, early 80s, it was different then. No, there was no funding of any description. I mean, you, like my family would have kept me in food and, and everything else. Um, but um, Aidan was, again, he was a great man looking for sponsorship and he'd organise also here in Leitrim. The Leitrim people would have done a county collection at all the church gates. Wow. And that was to fund, to fund um, my boat, which was called Leitrim. And then we needed a second boat. So he again organized it and we got Leitrim too. And he would have approached an awful lot of um, different um, directors and managing directors of companies for sponsorship. Wow. So we'd have got sponsorship from different people like Shell Ireland, RHM Foods, um, different people. Yeah. So, um, and did you have to go through a qualification pro process for Moscow or was it a nomination situation by Irish rowing back then? How did it work? Well, it was a bit of both. You had to compete at the different regattas and you had to um, be, um, be placed at a certain, yeah. um, against different countries. Um, the East European countries would have been very, very strong back then. Um, East Germany, Romania, Russia. Bulgaria, all of them would have been very, very strong. So we would have competed against those countries and um, the Scandinavian countries in Germany, Holland, um, Belgium, um, Mexico, all of those countries yeah. um, at different regattas. It could be Nottingham, it could be Mannheim, it could be Ratzeburg, it could be um, Essens. Um, we went to Lucerne. I'm not sure if we went to Lucerne in 79. Um, 
and then you had to get a, a certain a certain result at each of those regattas. And um, is it true that you trained at one point with Steve Redgrave? Yeah, I went over to Marlow um, in '83. Um, Mike Spracklin was designing a, a skull and boat for me. I used to race in a Carl Douglas, and I, I suppose I had it from '76. And in '83, um, boats were changing, blades, everything is changing. So we decided we'd look at another type of boat. And um, I went over to Marlow, and um, Steve Redgrave was training out of. Uh, Marlow under Mike Spracklin. So I would have trained with him for about two weeks. He was doing a lot of long distance steady state yeah. uh, row and working on technique, much the same as we were doing. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, you, get, you get picked from Moscow, you go to Moscow. It was a very unusual Olympics for lots of reasons, including the Americans boycotted it, didn't they? And, and they would have been a strong rowing nation, I presume. They would. The Americans were, yes, the Americans were strong. Um, yeah, the boycott probably did affect it a small bit, but again, the East European countries were very strong yeah, in skulls. Yeah, yeah, the Americans yeah. are inclined to kind of have team boats, yeah. and sometimes they might put all their strength into a skull. So it varied. It depended on, on the crew they had and, and the coaches. How did you get on in Moscow? In Moscow, um, I... I finished seventh um, we had some great racing. Um, I think in the, in the heats, I, I was kind of getting um, a little bit stronger and a little bit more confident as the racing went on. Yeah. I think in the heats, it was a big, a big um, stage to go out in on your own and um, lucky enough, the repassage gave you a second chance. So you were I second in your repassage, yeah. Yeah, I had to put everything on the line to get through to um, the semi-finals. So I worked that one, and then in the semi-finals, I think I was beaten by sixteen hundredths of a second to get into the last six. Wow! Which would to have make been the A final. final. Wow! Yes, the A final. Wow! Sixteen yeah. hundredths of a second in a rowing race, and and also we should say you were you were racing different a different distance then. A rowing international rowing now is always two thousand meters, but what was it back then, Francis? Back then it was a thousand. Right. So it was okay. kind of like a long sprint. You start it and you just flat out. Yes, try to squeeze an inch out of every stroke. You know. Oh my uh, God! The, the lactic at the end. At the end. The lactic at the end of a thousand meters in rowing must have been unbelievable. The pain. Well, do you know? Um, I suppose we heard of lactic acid, but we we didn't know a lot about it. <laughs> you'd, have, you'd have pains everywhere and they say, "Oh, that's the lactic acid," but yeah. we didn't know how to get rid of it or you know, it's yeah. different. You wouldn't yeah. have the same, um, I suppose, uh, attention to detail or... Yeah, or sports science even then. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you just literally missed out a place. And I think, um, and then did you, you, so you raised what they called the petty final then back then. It would have been the B final or whatever. And you, you finished seventh overall then. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, I was, uh, one of the girls that were to, to compete in it, she withdrew. So it, I ended up in seventh. Wow. Um, and yeah. what, are your, what are your memories of Moscow? I mean, apart from the racing, um, it was a communist country at the time. Um, you were only one of three women on the Irish team. There was a team of 47 went and there were only three of you. Hazel Green, the archer, Catherine Bone was the swimmer and you were the rower. And I'm presuming you shared a room. But what are your overall memories of Moscow? Oh, um... Well, we, we had two weeks kind of to acclimatise. 
um, which was brilliant because normally you went to an international regatta, you arrived on the Friday and you'd be racing at six in the morning Saturday and six in the morning Sunday and then you came home Sunday evening. So yeah. it was kind of a, a, a very um, fast, everything was was on top of you. Whereas in Moscow, you arrived and we were treated like royalty. Um, we got to go out and um, train over the course and get used to it. Um, the food halls were unbelievable. They were opened um, all around the clock, 24 seven. And um, you could have food at any hour of the day or night, any type. Um, <laughs> Red Square, I remember being very vast and, and beautiful, and very spacious. The women there seemed to do all the hard work. They were all out in overalls and um, you see them sweeping the street and out. Uh, doing what men would have done in Ireland, like roadworks and everything. Yes, interesting. And there was no children seen in the city. And I believe they were all shipped out before we arrived because they didn't want to be influenced uh, by um, any of the European countries. Yeah. Um, shops were, were like secondhand, were like, yeah, the clothes and shoes you could buy in it with the rubles were like they were worn, they were ready only for the bin. Yeah. And then there was the other side of it where you could, fabulous shops where you could buy everything if you had the dollar or sterling. Yes, yeah. And I remember in those days, people going to Russia, they used to bring Levi's and sell them because they were such a, they, they wanted to buy Levi's. They couldn't get denim jeans in Russia at the time. And it was a huge thing. You could make money if you went to Russia and sold jeans. What an extraordinary experience, Francis. You were 20 years of age. I mean, did you come home kind of still reeling from it? Were you happy with your rowing, first of all? Were you happy, happy how you performed? Oh, I was delighted uh, because I suppose I'd gone there um, because we always said we were getting ready for Los Angeles and this was a stepping stone. Yeah. So I suppose to compete with uh, people you would have read about and heard about um, was, was brilliant. And to be able to hold your own to a fair degree was 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 good too which you absolutely did because rowing is a sport where you get stronger as you get older so at that age you were you were you were you were spot on then for 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 heading for la you you went actually to america i think and trained with the americans before the 1983 world championships as well did you well i suppose um i i wasn't getting enough competition here in ireland um for to, to be competing at that level yeah so and I had kind of put a lot on the line and I said it's all or nothing and I was going to give it every opportunity that, that I could so we kind of looked at what Sean Dre had done and what other sports people there was a lot going to on American scholarships yeah Sean so, Dre was a famous um, was, he was a single scholar in 76 for Montreal and he was very famous in Ireland he was he was fourth in the Olympics I think he was our best rower ever yeah at the time oh yeah he was he was yeah brilliant so um, I decided I would go to someplace in America so Philadelphia was the choice and I went there for three months in 83 and I competed with them um, a good few of the different girls that were on the national squad. So it was a great experience. But in, when I came back, I think I got maybe too much. It was from one extreme to the other. So every, every time we went out on, uh, for um, a spin, it was, a, it was competition. We were competing against each other. Every time we did weight training, we were competing against each other. And um, it was a very competitive environment. And I think I nearly was burnt out when I got home. Really? Yeah. I had, yeah. 
Interesting. We were, in Ireland, we used to train. We do a lot of, Aidan would plan a program and you would do a lot of technique work and a lot of um, endurance work, um, steady state. And you'd be all, and a lot of weights and a lot of running. So you'd be all the time kind of um, building up the lung capacity, building up the strength in the legs and the body. And then you'd be getting ready for competition and you'd slowly stop that training to get it for speed work. Yeah. yeah. Whereas in America, they did that, but they also were competing, competing, competing. And I probably wasn't used to that. So when I got back, I had nearly most of my competitive stuff done. <laughs> you were right. And um, you trained a lot. I mean, just tell us roughly, sort of briefly, what you, what you how many hours a day you trained. I mean, you really put it. I would have done hours. five to six hours. I would have gone out in the morning. Because we raced at six uh, in the continent, because regatta schedules would be so heavy, women's races were inclined to be early in the morning. You'd have then races at lunchtime if you got through to semi-finals and then finals in the evening. Yeah. So we trained early morning, so our body was used to be ready for, for an event early. Uh, so we would have gone out around 6.30 to maybe 8.30. And then I would have gone for another spin around lunchtime, maybe one to three. And then Aidan, my coach, he worked in the local library. So he'd finish at six and we'd go on the water again, seven to nine. And were, so you working, most days. were you working in the family business then? And that's how you managed to work all this around Well, I, I was and I wasn't. Um, I would help out when they were busy. And I, I'd let my, my brother around the pub at that stage because my dad had ill health. And I would have often helped in the pub after training. Um, but I mostly, um, my life would have revolved kind of around the training. You were really, yeah, you were practically a full-time athlete, really. That's really interesting. I probably yeah. was back then, which is, yeah. is, was unusual. But I had kind of said, I'm going to give it everything. Yeah. You know, there was no point so in everything, a nursing career. Yeah, the nursing career had been put on hold. Everything was, was, was garnered for 84, for, for the Olympics in 84. And... You not only did you not go, there was no rowing team. What happened? You didn't get to go to LA. Well, I suppose, ooh, what happened? Um, I suppose rowing still was very much a man's sport. Now, I, I was kind of one of the lucky ones that I was kind of pushing through again because of the coach I had and the, the, the good backup I had in the club in Carrick. Um, but it still was very much a man's sport. And I guess if the men hadn't been going to Moscow, I wouldn't have been sent. And it was something similar for Los Angeles. Um, we had tried uh, out a lot of things in, 80, in 81, 82, 83, um, like tried to get a new boat, had gone different places to train. So 84 was really the dream all the way. Yeah. Um, I was kind of, um, at International Regattas, I was kind of ranked about ninth tenth you know on on um the i suppose circuit. the word the word yeah on the circuit um and the rowing union wanted to guarantee that you would get in the first six and that was their standards and they reckoned that they were sent to nobody just for the trip right um i felt that i hadn't peaked that we were still, we hadn't um, laid off a lot of the training because we yeah. were, there was no point peaking in May, June. Yeah, you hadn't tapered in yet. August. Yeah, you yeah. hadn't tapered. So we were, we, were, we were competing at international regattas, but we were still, had the same training, you know, eased up a little bit, but not a lot. 
So we felt we were going to peak in Los Angeles, but they reckon we hadn't the we weren't going to get in the first six. But the, the, the East Europeans had boycotted the, the Los Angeles games and they were yeah. the strongest in, in, my, in, in the singles. So we felt that would have even gave us a little bit of an edge. And at what point but, in the year did you, did you discover oh, I had been measured for the un, I'd been in Dublin to get the Olympic uniform. No and way. I had done the medical, I was on the Olympic team, we had done everything. I think I found out just maybe about six weeks before we were to go on the trip. Oh, stop. That's, that yeah. was, I mean, it must have been heartbreaking, Francis. Your whole life was in this. Uh, it was, it was. Um, and I suppose that the worst part was that I then had to sit at home and watch the, the games and all the girls I had competed at were there on the television yeah. race. And so yeah. it was tough, definitely. And, and it kind of, yeah, it probably kind of, um, I don't know what you'd say. It, it would knock the stuffing out of you, definitely. Oh, God almighty, you devoted your life to get into those games. And again, you were four years older, stronger. You would have been in really great condition for it. Um, did it sour your relationship with rowing? Did it change you? Did you continue to row? What happened? I competed in 85. Um, I don't think I went to the Worlds that year. Um, I competed again at the international, but I suppose I kind of lost a lot of um, uh, my drive, I would say. And they were telling me I should move to Dublin and I should move here and different things. And we tried a lot before 84. Um, then in 86, I kind of think I was beginning to fall out of, you know, kind of lose a bit of interest in the sport. I hadn't the same drive, I would say. Yeah. Well, it's so one of those in intensive sports that you really have to. And I mean, with the Irish team, obviously now they're all centrally based in Cork. They train together. You know, it was a very different time and you were in a different place. I mean, you literally geographically, you, you, you were in Leitrim and, and, uh, and probably rowing was concentrated probably in Dublin or Cork then. Yeah, I'd say if you were part of the Dublin scene, um, you had a better chance, definitely. Yeah. But... Yeah. Um, no, um, listen, I loved the sport, I enjoyed it, I had a great time, but that did sour it very much so. Um, did you continue to row socially or do other sports? Or I mean, you were still a very young woman. No, I, um, well, I, I rowed until, it kind of was all or nothing with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you put that. And then my family had kind of um, supported me up for, for those years, so it was time for me to give something back. So I think in 86, 87, I came back and I decided that I would help more in the business. Right. And I got sucked into it and that then took over my life. Right. So the and the, and the family, the you still work in the family, the family business for anybody who visits uh, Carrick is, is crying, is the hotel now. Yeah, well, um, I, I worked in the pub and um, I started a restaurant after that, then got married, had kids. And then I built a hotel in 2007, bang on the recession. Wow. <laughs> so we're still here. You're still there. That's the most important still thing, there. Francis. Yes, wow. yes. So all, it's clear that all that energy and drive and everything else that you had in, 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 in yourself naturally, you put into business then and your family. Yeah. How many children do you have? I have four. Two right. boys, two girls. 
And rowing has it played any part in your life uh, since, or is it starting to now? Do I hear that you might you might be back with co- with doing a bit of coaching? Well, I've always watched rowing from a distance, um, and I've always gone to the Olympics. And rowing would be the reason I would have gone. Um, I've gone to a couple of world championships, um, and I have um, uh, my youngest daughter and I was involved in rowing, and she sucked me back into it. So I've been down at the national championships, and I think rowing has progressed fantastically since, and I think it's brilliant. And there's far more young women competing now at all levels, and even here in the club in Carrick, we've got about eighty. It's eighty youngsters, and sixty of them are young girls under eighteen. Wow, twelve to eighteen. And there's four marvellous guys and a young lady um, who's putting in tremendous work. In fact, as I came in here this morning, they're out on the river. Because it's the fantastic. Yeah, brilliant. So do you, do you see that, do you, do you notice then that there's more opportunities for women to get involved in the sport than even maybe when you started? You know, you were, you were probably unusual then. Well, no, there was a lot of rowing. Um, even before my time, women would have, there have been great women like, um, Maxine Murphy in a clunkard that had been um, Carolyn Canton, Linda McNeil, like there was Nola Lupton, Mairead McEwan, there was lots of ladies. Uh, Commercial had a brilliant um, yeah. club at Lone. Um, but now I think um, they're more organised and um, there's better equipment and a lot of equipment in clubs. There's yeah. great gyms, the ergometer. I think they were just about coming into existence when I was training. Uh, video footage is brilliant now. I mean, um, there's more safety. Um, they've just come on in leaps and bounds. Then Rowan Ireland are, are, are delivering great programmes for all levels of rowing. Yeah. I and I mean, even the thing rowing. of the ergometer, indoor and indoor rowing, did you have an ergometer when you started out? Or are you on the water oh, all the time? No, no. I think that I think I would have there might have been one in Dublin where we would have had to do rowing tests on yeah uh, but I think America would have been the first time I would have done a lot on ergometers wow no nice. I didn't ever like them I much prefer to be on the river <laughs> <laughs> we could never don't we all it's so much nicer to be exercising outdoors I think that's an amazing thing that you that you do you've been to the last I mean you go to the Olympics you, you've gone to the last few Olympics and you bring some of your children with you each time, do you? And you go yeah, specifically I brought the to watch the boys, I brought the two boys to Beijing. They were only, I think, 11 and 13. And they had a ball. They loved it. And they, 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 they love sport. And then I brought my two daughters to London. Um, they were, again, only young, 11 and 13, I think. And they... they absolutely loved it it was a brilliant experience and we went to rowing and we went to athletics and football and boxing whatever we could get tickets yeah and did you go to rio i didn't get to rio i had a bit of ill health around that time so only for that i would have traveled and you're planning to go go. you were planning to go to tokyo definitely i was on my way to tokyo this year but hopefully next year we're all going well we'll see how this virus pans out yeah yeah, but I went to Austria last year to the World Championships. 
and you're and watching and you're watching an Irish woman retaining world world title at world championships and you we're watching you know we could potentially have three women's boats in in Rio um Sunita will be there in the skulls there's a double qualified and then there's a rake of them who are all battling to qualify a four which is they won a bronze at the Europeans recently and it's the first time they'll ever be a women's four in the Olympics so this could be a really exciting time for Irish women rowing Oh, I think they are unbelievable. They're fantastic. I mean, Sunita is just, she's, she's, she's so inspirational. Uh, then, of course, you have the two guys, or all the guys from Skibbereen, the O'Donovan brothers. I mean, they have made Rowan so cool. I mean, they've brought it to another level. Uh, Dominic Casey is fantastic. He's been around since my time, and he's still there. I mean, people like that are, uh, you know, you couldn't pay the money for it. But you had them in Aidan Nagel and, and Sonny Moran. You had those two. I mean, coaches are so important, aren't they? Oh, uh, totally, totally. And I mean, you have young Katie O'Brien in the Paralympics. I mean, yeah. another great person, an inspiration. And you have all these other young women, um, the Lamb sisters. You have Monica. You have Dominic's, Casey's daughter. Daughter, yeah. Eve, yeah. is it? Yeah. Um, I mean... They're all, they're super. I mean, and, you know. And tell me, as somebody who's a, who was a, a scholar, an Olympic scholar, our first, what makes Monica, or what makes um, Sunita Puspur so good? What is it? I mean, you, if you've, you've watched her, you've gone to World Championships and seen her. What, what makes her so, so good? Well, she has to be um, driven and she has to be very, very strong. And she's brilliant technique. I've been watching her now on videos and different things and she's such a wonderful technique and a brilliant drive. She must be mentally very, very strong as well. And to be still competing and to still have the hunger. Yeah. I mean, she's won everything now bar this Olympic medal. Yeah. <laughs> so she's won to go. I mean, um, I mean it's, 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 it's super because it just shows you that the Irish system is working and that we're as good as the best in the world and that they have great support systems. And well, Francis, well I, just have, I have this lovely image of you being on the bank in, in Tokyo when she wins the gold. I think that would just be fantastic. It would be, well, it, to see any of them compete successfully, but that would be the cream on the cake. Well, look, you made, it's literally, it's 40 years ago, uh, you made really important uh, Irish rowing history uh, in that famous team in, in Moscow in 1988. It's such a privilege to have you to tell, tell your story to us. And I think uh, you probably wouldn't say it yourself, but you probably keep inspiring people, Francis. Oh, well, I don't, I, I mean, it's brilliant to see the young people um, go on to more, even better success and to keep the flag flying and um, long may it last. I mean, it's just super. And to have such support systems around them and that Rowan now is for everybody in, you know, all society is, is, even, is even better. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Off the Bench today, Francis. And we hope everything goes well down there in Carrick as the, as the lockdown continues and that we do see you in, in Tokyo next year as a, as a, a strong Irish rowing supporter. Definitely. They, I don't know what will stop me. Hopefully we'll be there. And thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. And I want to wish all of the, the competitors the very, very best of good Irish luck. Thanks, Francis. Thank you very much, Tina. That was an Off The Ball Podcast Network presentation.